Welcome here today. It's good to see you all. Today is, uh, can you hear me okay? Good, good. Today is Pentecost Sunday. Um, the title of my sermon is The Birth of the Church. And um, before I get into talking about the birth of the church, there are, uh, there are there's kind of an introduction I want to do to, um, I think it's, I kind of, I think, it's even more important than the, the text that I'm sharing with you today. Um, and that um, is uh, what I'm going to get into right now. Um, I want you to know, first of all, see the picture of the people up there? That's, that's the church. You people are the church. I mean, usually when somebody says church, we, th we think of a building right away. Well, the building is just a place to meet in, but you people are the church, and Christ is in you. The hope of glory, the Holy Spirit is inside of you, and that's what makes you a church. If the Holy Spirit is not inside of you, then you're, you're not a church. Um, you're not born again. Uh, and that's, it's really important because doing Christ's work, you have to do it with the Holy, help of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. In fact, the Holy Spirit and the Word work together in sync. The Holy Spirit does not work without the Word, and the Word does not work without the Holy Spirit. They work together like a hand in a glove. And that's my introduction today. In the beginning, um, eventually my, my text will come up there when, when I get to talk about it. But first I want to go back to Genesis and talk about the beginning. I want to talk first as an introduction, I want to talk a little bit about the Word and the Spirit. See, in the beginning, in Genesis chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, the Spirit of God moved and, um, and it kind of hovered over the face of the waters. And then God said, let there be light. So you have the Spirit of God and then you have the Logos, or the spoken word of God, God said, let there be light. And then the, and then the Holy Spirit created that light. And on the first day, that was on the first day, God spoke once. And on the second day, God spoke once and created something else. On the third day, he spoke, God spoke twice and, and the Holy Spirit created two things. On the fourth day, God spoke once, and so the Holy Spirit created one more thing. And on the fifth day, God spoke only once, so the Holy Spirit created one thing on the fifth day. And on the sixth day, God spoke four times, and so the Holy Spirit created four, four things. And the last thing was that the Holy Spirit created man and woman, Adam and Eve. 
And so the Holy Spirit and God did all this creation without man ever having any part of it. Get that, get that in your heart. God and the Holy Spirit did all the work and, and, now, and finished on the sixth day. And on the seventh day was rest. So what did Adam and Eve do on the seventh day? They rested with God. See, and that's how it is. Because God made you to do a rest. Rest is important. Um, God created everything on his own without that man's help, and then he rested. And the rest was made for man to use for his heart, for his best good. It is for your own best good to rest. It is very important. Do not work in vain. You see, there are, there are Christians, and it happens over and over again, there are Christians that think they have to work for their righteousness. It's not by works. We are saved by grace. You don't have to work for your righteousness. There's, it's nothing that you can do that would earn your salvation. Nothing. It's all been paid for on the cross by his blood. There's nothing you can do. That, that is very important because even when you become a Christian, born again Christian, the gifts you cannot, you, can, you cannot make the spiritual gifts happen within you. The Holy Spirit does that work. Tongues, if you want to start speaking in tongues, you, you have to make the initiative. You have to start speaking and then the Holy Spirit will come in and take over and help you to pray in the Spirit. That's why they call it praying in the Spirit because the Holy Spirit is helping you to pray. So... Um, that is very important. Tongues and gifts, healing, prophecy, all that is done by God and the Holy Spirit. And it's written in his word that those things will happen that way because of the help of the Holy Spirit. And so, um, so, um, God took a, a, a rib part from Adam and, and made a woman. And, and in Genesis chapter 2, verse 23, Adam declared, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And this is important too because... because uh, um, the woman was made as a helpmate for the man. And, um, and it even works well in ministry that way as well. But I want you to hear this closely. Listen to this close. Woman is said not to have been taken out of man's head to be lorded over by the husband, nor from the man's feet to be trampled on him 
um, by the husband. But woman was made from the man's side to be equal with him, from under his arm to be protected by him, and near his heart to be loved by him. Amen. Isn't that precious? Yes. That is really good. Let me, let me read that again. Woman is said not to have been taken out of man's head to be lorded over by him, nor from his feet to be trampled on by him, but from his side to be equal with him, from under his arms to be protected by him and near his heart to be loved by him. Amen. So let us labor, therefore, to enter into his rest. That's Mark, or Hebrews 4.11. So our labor is, our, our part is to pray and, and to take up the cross daily and to deny ourselves and follow Jesus as, as a church body of believers to continue in one cord, accord right here. And that's where we are. We're here today in one accord. Believers coming together for a common good, a common cause, to worship God, to learn of Scripture, to find out what God wants us to do for the coming week. Maybe he'll speak to your heart today about something you need to do later this week. Or maybe he'll speak to my heart too. Um, we're here to teach and to learn, to win, win souls, to share Jesus, search the scriptures. Now I want to share something with you. When I had a heart attack, and I was laid up in the hospital, I didn't have time to grab all my stuff, nor did I take my Bible with me. We'd, I got in my son-in-law's truck, and we just went to hospital. And then the next day, I went to Mason City, so I did not have a Bible. Um, and my daughter, Nicole, brought me a Bible. Well, it wasn't my Bible. You know how you get used to your own Bible? You know where everything is, and you, you know, you've got special markings in it and stuff like that. This Bible was okay. <laughs> it, was, it was good enough. Well, I bring this up this point, search the scriptures, and I, I do not do devotionals. I opened up the Bible and I let God speak to me. And, um, I, and because I didn't have, have my own Bible, I did not know if I would really get any benefit out of this strange looking Bible that I was unfamiliar with. But I opened up the scriptures and I got a lot of information from from the Lord. I was really surprised. In fact, I even forgot my calling. I have my own calling in Scripture. You want to hear it? It's pretty good. It's, um, 
Um, oh, I had it on the back side here. It's in Isaiah 42, verse 6. I have called you into righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. Remind the church of my covenant and be a light to the unsaved. Isaiah 42, 6. That's my calling. And I, I found that in, in this strange looking Bible. I found my calling. I saw the scripture. I, that's my calling. I, I, had, I had not read that for a long time. I had not seen it. I had forgotten it, you know, and I was just touched. And, and he, he shared some other scriptures with me too. But um, I, that was just precious to me. Uh, especially given the fact that not only had it gone through a heart attack, but the last three years was a stormy time for me. I was going through the storm. And I think part of it is, well, definitely part of it was an attack by the enemy because I spent a lot of time praying overnight in, during the midnight hour, a lot of days like that. And the enemy does not like that. And I remember two years ago when, when I, uh, the last time I preached here two years ago in March, I, I, I did a message on repentance. Do you remember that? Yeah. That was a tough message to give and that was totally from the Lord. And, uh, and uh, I was, you know, going through a tough time. In fact, I was battling depression for a little bit and I was on medication for that. And that seemed like the only thing that turned me around was the medication. I mean, I spent time in the Bible and I talked to the Lord, but I, I just was so weak that I could not get over without some medication that would help me. But anyway, so I, I shared with you a message about repentance. And um, Joshua, and I, Josh and I went to the pastor's office and prayed before the service. And, and um, I discovered a new gift that God had given me at that time. And while Josh was praying, I don't remember a word that you said, Josh, when you prayed, but I, the tears just poured out. And um, I got up and shared that message and the Lord just took over and the, 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 it just flowed, you know, and I, I never experienced such a powerful anointing like that before. And um, afterward, Boy, you know, the enemy hit me big time, big time. And he was saying things like, you should not have shared that message. You are, you have made people mad. You're going to have people walk out on you. You should never have shared that message. That was a bad idea, blah, blah, blah. And I kept saying over and over, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Lord. I must have said it about 50 times, 60 times in one day, just kept saying, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Lord. And um, then I would start 
worshiping God and praying about the blood of Jesus and stuff like that. And then, and then the enemy backed off. So daily, getting back to daily duties as a Christian, search scriptures, discuss scriptures, carry out responsibilities. Do not re- neglect your responsibilities in, in the workplace, wherever you work, but also in the church and in home. That's God-given responsibilities. And then last but not least, exhort one another, which means uh, encourage one another, the daily duties of Christians with the help of the Holy Spirit. You work through those things without the Holy Spirit and you fall short in your life. You know, and sometimes you neglect some of those things, you fall short in your life. But uh, Matthew eleven twenty eight thirty 30 says, Come unto me all, you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You see, God does not want you to labor in vain. He does not want you to do ministry work by yourself. He wants you to use the help of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is your helper. He's your friend. He's your pastor. He's your leader. He's your teacher. He's your standby. He's your intercessor. And Jesus is your intercessor as well. Don't, 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 don't do ministry alone. Just, just don't do it because you'll, you'll fall short. Um, sometimes, you know, that I found that it takes days or weeks or even years to give God our burdens and release our worries. Have you found that to be true sometimes? That it takes quite a while. The work and burden belong to a cursed generation, not to a Christian. Don't let the enemy put those burdens on you. Don't let him do it. So now, um, with that in mind, knowing that uh, the work of... uh, the Word and the Holy Spirit work together, I want to talk about Jesus public ministry and uh, Mr. Producer if you could put that scripture verse up there now there we go yeah great oh you left the people up there too I like that Um, and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it in a little bit I'll talk about that verse in detail but for now I want to share with you that uh, Jesus' ministry was only three years long. Three years. And you know, when I was preparing this message and the Lord, with the Lord's help, what the Lord showed me is something I hadn't realized. And that was that, um, you see, I always used to think that Jesus came down to teach the people 
and to heal the sick and, and brokenhearted and, uh, and then to, to get on the cross and die for us. But what I learned today and just recently was that he came to build a church, to start a church. I never thought of that that way. I just thought, well, I, my thinking was, well, when after he was crucified and resurrected, he was up in heaven and, and he said, well, let's start a church, you know, like that. And then, but no, it, it was in the plan all along. And uh, that's how weak my theology was in that area. I wasn't really thinking that part through too well. But anyway, at 12 years old, Jesus was preparing for the ministry and he would, you remember, it was a Passover and his family had to go to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. And uh, uh, when they returned home to Nazareth, Jesus wasn't with the caravan and the, the fam, his parents had to turn around and go back and get him. And here Jesus is in the temple. He's asking the questions to the teachers and, and um, he's making comments and, and the teachers were amazed at what this 12-year-old kid knew about the Bible. And of course, Jesus grew up in a Jewish home, so he, he was trained and became a rabbi, minister. And, uh, but uh, then at 30 years of age, he started um, the ministry, first by being baptized by John the Baptist. And John the Baptist was pre- preparing for Jesus' uh, uh, ministry and uh, preaching the, to repent for the kingdom of heaven is at, at hand. And when Jesus was preaching, he said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is here. And uh, so Jesus was baptized by John. And, and John the Baptist kind of questioned that. But there was two reasons why Jesus was water baptized. And first, to f- fulfill righteousness. And secondly, to manifest himself to Israel. So then the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus um, after he was water baptized and then the Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness for a 40-day fast to prepare for ministry by prayer and fasting and instruction. And so then after that begins the first year of Jesus' ministry, and, and I, I call it a year of obscurity, because Jesus wasn't really well known. Not, not too many people knew him and, and knew much about him. And um, the first two disciples that became part of Jesus' ministry was um, actually two disciples that were following John the Baptist. And when John the Baptist said, behold, the Lamb of God, <laughs> the disciples turned and started following Jesus. That was Andrew and, 
And it doesn't say who the other one was, but it was probably John who wrote the Gospel of John. And then, um, then Jesus finds Philip and says, follow me. And, and Philip finds Nathaniel. And, and Nathaniel says something really interesting. He says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Because uh, Philip said to Nathaniel, we found Jesus. He lives in, he's from Nazareth. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Well, the answer is yes. Of course. Can anything good come out of Alcona? Yes. Jesus could come here too. He is here. But I mean in bodily form, of course. He could come here. Um, the first miracle that Jesus did was turning the water into wine at a wedding. And you know, I remind you, I want to take you back to Genesis for just a moment. When God created everything, he provided food and water for Adam and Eve. He, he, he provided everything. It was all there. They didn't have to do anything there. And uh, so um, with that in mind, I remind you of 1 Peter 5, verse 7, which says, Cast your care upon him, for he cares for you. Humble yourselves. He's taking care of all of us. He's taking care of all of us. You know, you worry, you worry and wonder about ministry. You wonder what God wants you to do, what your destiny is, what your purpose is. And some of you um, will be finishing school. You wonder what God's going to have you do with your life, where you're going to go, what, you, what kind of work you're going to do. What would you like to do? What, what does your heart say? Um, you need to search your heart. Then after that miracle, in the first year of ministry, Jesus went out to the temple, into the temple, and he turned over the tables in the temple because of corruption and extortion that was going on in the temple. Not only did he do it that first year in his ministry, but the last or the third year, just before he went to Jerusalem for the Passover, well, just at the time when he went to Jerusalem for the Passover, he turned the tables over again uh, because they had set up shop again. And he said, my father's house is a house of prayer. You have made it a den of thieves, a house of prayer. And remember, you're the church. The church is the body of Christ. You are the church. The house of prayer is you. It's in here. You pray with your heart. The Holy Spirit is in here. You are the church. You know, they asked, the Jews asked Jesus, they said, what, what right do you have to turn over the tables of the money changers? And that's where Jesus said, and this was the second time that he turned over the tables 
And the temple, he said, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. And he was talking about his body. He wasn't talking about the building. So, you know, there, and there's no doubt in my mind when Jesus said that, when he said, destroy this temple, he was pointing his finger at himself. I, I, I'm almost sure that I can't say that. It doesn't say that in the Bible about, you know, I just wonder. I just think, destroy this temple and I will raise it up in three days. And he will raise you up too, because you are the church. You are the body of Christ. He is the head. You are the body. You know, and the head tells the body what to do. You don't tell the head what to do. Uh, so not this building. This building is a place to me. We, this body is the church. We pray in fellowship with God. We take up our cross daily and humble ourselves, deny ourselves and follow Jesus. We surrender ourselves through repentance and confession and obedience. We love God and we love to share his love with others. We continue to learn and teach and share doctrine and we carry out our responsibilities. We exhort and encourage one another. Our job is to believe God, worship God, love God, love others, and enjoy life. And we are overcomers because Jesus overcame. He overcame the cross. He, he went through persecution. And he said that we would go through persecution as well. The next part... Uh, we, uh, we, we are overcomers by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. That's how we are overcomers. By the blood of the Lamb and what we speak, what our testimony is about God and about how Jesus works in our hearts. Well, in the next uh, ministry that I want you to point out to you about Jesus was teaching Nicodemus how to become born again. And he had to, to, to make, a, he had to make Nicodemus try to understand that it's a spiritual thing. No, you can't just go back into your mother's womb. I'm talking to spiritually, you must be born again. We're not talking about flesh here. We're talking about your spirit. Spiritual body, not earthly human works. You know, the final testimony that John the Baptist gave before he was beheaded is really kind of <laughs> eerie in a way. John the Baptist said that. He must increase and I must decrease. Speaking about Jesus, Jesus must increase and I must decrease. Maybe we should be saying that about ourselves every day too, you know, that Jesus must increase and I must decrease. 
So I, as I shared with you, the main theme of Jesus in his first year of ministry was the kingdom of heaven is here. Is here. Why? Because Jesus wants to start a church. This Pentecost Sunday. This church's birthday. Have you ever thought of that? Do you have a spiritual birthday? Anybody raise your hand. Do you have a spiritual birthday? Yeah, yeah. I do too. The 5th of May, 1980 is my spiritual birthday. I remember that sermon well too. Talked about, pastor talked about drugs and alcohol. And I've been messing around with that stuff, you know. And I always thought, you know, the Bible is just a storybook that's not relevant for today. It's not up to date with today. It's not current. And I didn't, I didn't bring a Bible, but there was a Bible in the pew. And when he started quoting scripture, I grabbed that Bible and I started, it's in there. You know, it's quoting another scripture. That's in there too. Wow, this Bible is relevant for today. It is up to date and current. And it was simply something that my father had been teaching me. And I just went along and believed it. Um, and interesting too, the, the pastor, God would give pastor the sermon and um, his wife would write the sermon and he would fill in the scripture verses and stuff and then, and then he would work on it. And he'd finish it and preach it. It was interesting how that worked. They worked as a couple, side by side, equal together, you know? Helpmate, got it? <laughs> so, can, you, can your minds fathom that, that we are the church? Can, uh, I guess I'm jumping ahead of myself, but I'm a little bit overwhelmed. Um, with love and joy and peace and gratitude and humbleness and blessing. Because that's what church does. That's what they give. When people come in here, they encourage other people. They, they share their love, their joy, their gratitude. They share their peace with others. <laughs> and they share their humbleness. And blessing. Do you know what blessing means? Blessing means to be empowered. You know, at the end of the service, Pastor Jason always gives a, a blessing to you. He's empowering you with scripture. It's not his power. He's just quoting scripture. It's, it's God's power, the Holy Spirit, working in you through that word. Pastor Jason is blessing you and empowering you. I, I, had, I got that revelation about a month ago. I went up to Pastor Jason and I said, Pastor Jason, 
Did you know that you're empowering the church? Every time you give a blessing to the church, you're empowering them? He said, yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty cool. Pretty cool. This, this building... Is there, anything, is there anything sacred about this building, do you think? Anything sacred? Yeah, I think there is. This building is a place of blessing and empowerment. This building is a house of prayer as well because we meet together and we worship here and we pray together. And... Um, the opposite would be if we had a group of Satanists come into a building and do all kinds of evil things. And if a Christian would happen to just accidentally walk in this building when it was empty and not know what was in here, they would feel evil all over the place. Even though there's nobody here, they would feel that evil and that darkness. But that's the opposite. What this building is sacred because it's been filled with love and prayer and worship to God, the one true God, and um, praise and blessing. And there's peace and God's presence is here. Uh, special. And... Uh, you know, the angels are here. Jesus is here. And you are here. The church is here. And you're all filled with the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of presence here. And the word thrives in this place because we teach it and we preach it and we declare it and we sing it. And we worship him. And when the you have the word so prominently spoken in this place, you have the Holy Spirit present. I mean, we all each have the Holy Spirit inside of us, but when you start to worship God and declare his attributes and his promises, you are building your faith and you are declaring with one accord that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Can I get an amen? amen. Amen. You know, Pastor Jason, uh, whenever we meet Sunday morning for worship practice, 8 a.m., Pastor Jason is here and he prays over the worship team and he prays over this church. And Pastor Jason declares that the only spirit that is welcome here is the Holy Spirit. And the only spirit allowed in the parking lot is the Holy Spirit. No other spirit is welcome here. The Holy Spirit is the pastor here. And the Holy Spirit partners with Pastor Jason. So if anyone enters this building with the spirit of pride or evil or jealousy or criticism, criticism or anger, they will leave with a change of heart or they will leave with regret. Guaranteed. 
How do I know? Because I've experienced it. I've experienced it myself. I come in with, I've come in with anger or criticism, truly regret it. It's so hard to worship. So hard. To, you gotta set, you have to repent and set all that stuff aside. You have to clear your heart before you can even worship God. And if you don't do it, you're full of pride. Not my problem. Somebody else's problem. Not my problem. No, it's my problem. It is my problem. And the Holy Spirit is in my heart. And he's grieved by it. And God wants to bless you. He wants to bless me. Yeah, the pastor is the shepherd of the sheep. Sheep. In fact, Pastor Jason is the under-shepherd of the great shepherd, and the great shepherd is Jesus. So, uh, I know... I, I know that Pastor Jesus spends a lot of time preparing the sermon. I know he prays. He seeks the Lord's guidance. Now, I did the same. Pastor asked me to pray for a week before deciding whether to do the sermon or not. And I waited. I prayed. I waited. Prayed. Listened quietly. And then I got to go. And the Lord revealed this sermon to me. Well, now we'll move on to the second year of uh, Jesus' ministry. As it was a year of popularity. The first year was a year of obscurity. They didn't really know, people didn't really know Jesus that well. Not well. Some knew him, a carpenter's son. And um, it's about noon when um, Jesus meets the Samaritan woman at the well. And he had sent his disciples on to get food. And Jesus asked the Samaritan woman for a drink of water. Ah, that reminds me. My mouth is getting dry. I don't know, that was pretty good timing. I actually needed a drink of water, I really did. Um, Let's see, um, Actually, Jesus asked the Samaritan woman for a drink of water, and Jewish tradition forbids a rabbi to talk with women or even instruct women in Jewish law. So the Samaritan woman says, and I'm just going to paraphrase this, okay? So just to make it simple, the Samaritan woman says, What are you doing? You are a Jew. You shouldn't be talking to me. And Jesus says, okay, well, call your husband. Tell him to come here. And the Samaritan woman says, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, that's true. You have had five husbands, and the man you are with 
right now, it's not your husband. That is true. So I share this with you for only one reason, one reason only, because Jesus was ministering to this woman and he wanted to share about salvation. And the first thing you need to do before you share salvation with somebody is first you might want to check and find out what the root of their problem is. What's the root of their problem? Uh, and it wasn't that he, Jesus is a Jew and she's a Samaritan. That's not the problem. The root of the woman's problem was that she was in a relationship and it wasn't uh, a good relationship. And so let's continue on. And so, so Jesus got to the root of our problem before he could give her the solution of salvation. And, and the way that Jesus did that was the gift of knowledge. Um, a spiritual gift was in operation. Jesus could, Jesus could see her past and he could read her thoughts. The gift of knowledge, a prophecy. And a woman says, the Samaritan woman says, uh, she changes the subject. She says, well, the Samaritans worship in Mount Gerizim, but the Jews, they worship at Jerusalem. Ah. Now Jesus declared true worshipers worship in spirit with their emotions with their mind, with their feelings, with their desires. And they, true worshipers also worship in truth, in harmony with the full, revealed, and attested truth of the Word of God. True worshipers worship in spirit and in truth. And that is how we as a church body worship as well. He cannot, if, if you can't be true with God, <laughs> your worship, if you can't be honest with God, what is your worship? He, have to, he already knows everything. He does. He already knows your heart. He already sees what you're doing. You just as well confess it. Let him know. If you're mad at him, let him know. Talk to him. Worship in spirit and truth. That's why we were created. Our purpose on earth was to love God. And to love all people and to worship God. Love, that is our purpose. In fact, just to prove you in Scripture, I will read to you 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. If I speak in tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, 
And if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have, deliver up my body to be burned, but I have not love, I gain nothing. Let me go on. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It Love is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. Love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Love never fails. See, so that the scripture says that love is more important than the gifts. And then, and then you go on to chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians. It says, pursue love and then early, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. So love first, you know, love is very important. In ministering to people, you, you have to display that love. And uh, moving on, in Jesus' ministry, he's rejected at Nazareth. He went to Nazareth twice to... Um, to uh, share a sermon there. And the first time was quite hostile. Uh, Jesus went to the synagogue in Nazareth as was his custom as a rabbi. And he read from the scroll of Isaiah. And here's what he read. He's, from the scroll, he read, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted to preach deliverance to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And then he closed the scroll and said, this day, this scripture is fulfilled in your ears. And then Jesus made this declaration. He said that no prophet no prophet is accepted in his own country. And the people of Nazareth and the temple reacted with anger. And here's their thinking. I'm just going to paraphrase this again. But here's what they were thinking. This is Jesus, the son of a carpenter. This hometown boy from Nazareth classing himself with Elijah and Elisha, because Elijah and Elisha also said, no prophet is without honor in his own country. Classing himself with Elijah and Elisha, the greatest of prophets? Come on. This is Jesus? They were mad, and they were ready to stone him and push him down the hill. Jesus went Back later, he left and came back later in the year 
to Nazareth because, as I say, it was the custom of the rabbi to speak in his own hometown. And so he went back a second time a little bit later in the year and he was rejected again. And all he could do was lay hands on a few people who were sick and they were healed. And Jesus was amazed at the unbelief in that town. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Yeah, if you can believe. Can anything good come out of Algona? Yeah, if you believe. You know, Jesus said that we as a church will be persecuted because he was persecuted. Have you been persecuted? Come on. Raise your hand if you've been persecuted as a Christian. Oh, come on. I'm sure you have. I'm sure you have. Uh, It's not pleasant. And sometimes you want to, as my wife would say, bop them. (laughs) Bop them on the head. I mean, really, let's be honest about it sometimes. Even... Even Christians will persecute Christians. It's really sad. But uh, you get persecuted. And um, when you get persecuted, do you still want to be a Christian? Do you still want to be a church? Do you still want to worship God? Are you sure you want to be a Christian? Would you die for your faith in God? There is a there is a a prophecy that I heard not too long ago. Um by a man named Bob Jones. He was, he's no longer alive. Have you heard of Bob Jones, anyone? Yeah, okay. He um, lived out on the East Coast. He was uh, an amazing prophet who um, his prophecies were, were very accurate. Just to, give you, just to give you an idea of what it was like one time he was supposed to meet another um, minister in Dallas, Texas. And they got off the plane. He got off the plane and met the other guy at the airport. And they both had the same revelation that they're supposed to meet this guy in Dallas, Texas at a certain place. The other guy had been there before but it had been years since he'd been there and he couldn't remember exactly where it was at. And, you know, over the years, how towns or cities changed because of new buildings and new businesses and construction and different streets and stuff. And um, they both confirmed to each other, yeah, yeah, we need to go see this guy. God wants us to go there right now. And but how are we going to get there? I don't know the direction. How, you know, and this was back when they didn't have 
you know, GPS and stuff. And, and, and so Bob says, well, you drive and I'll, I'll pray. And so the, the other guy knew about where to, start, where to start driving, which direction to go and so forth. And, and so then Bob says, well, make a right turn here. Turn right. And then nothing. And the driver's going, well, now what? Just wait, I'm, I'm, I'm listening. Okay, now make a, make a left turn here. Left turn. Okay, make a right here. Now what? Just wait, I'm, I'm listening. Okay, make another right here. And they get to the place. They get to this guy's place. This is it right here. Turn in here. And so then they, they met and they prayed together and found out what God wanted them to do and so forth. Now, it's just amazing. But um, Bob Jones made a, a prophecy that uh, in, in this time that we're in right now and, and I think Bob has passed away. I think he's been gone like 10 years now. But this time that we're living in now is a time of judgment. It's a time of judgment but then after judgment comes revival. Now I don't know how long the judgment will last but you can see you can see that um, Christians are being persecuted I just saw on the news the other day about Catholics being persecuted, but Christians are being persecuted now. And um, I just won't, I don't want to get into the political part of it. Um, I think you understand and know what I'm saying. But um, so I, I want you, I say this to prepare you that um, along with persecution, you might you might have to go through some hard times. You and I both. We might have to go through some hard times. So just be prepared. Pray. Keep yourself built up in the Word. And repent. Confess. Stay close to the Lord. So, Jesus has not, it's even in the second year, and, and um, he uh, meets Peter and Andrew, they're fishing with James and John, out on a boat, and they've, they've toiled all night, and they've caught nothing. And uh, Jesus said, with a word, Jesus said, cast your net on the other side. And of course, the Holy Spirit drew in the fish into the net and they caught a load of fish and James and John had to help carry the load in. And Jesus said to the four guys, Peter and Andrew, James and John, follow me, follow me. To follow is discipleship. And it says that James and John left everything to their father to leave everything is to put God first.
to leave everything is to put God first. The 12 disciples are chosen after Jesus has prayed all night long to get the will of God. And he sends them out as missionaries. And he says, preach preach that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The sick, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, and cast out devils. And he sent the 12 out to Jewish people only and gave them a few more instructions for their missionary work. I want to share also with you that uh, I want to share the story about the stormy night. About 3 or 6 a.m. in the morning, when Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship. And he actually, when I, it says in Matthew 14, 22, he, Jesus constrained. He had to talk them into getting a ship to cross the Sea of Galilee. And they, the disciples did not want to do it. Um, and for two possible reasons. Either they were afraid to return to Herod's country because John the Baptist was beheaded, or maybe it was because they did not want to sail without Jesus because the first time they were caught in a storm in a boat, Jesus was in the boat with them, but Jesus was sleeping in the bottom of the boat. And it was stormy weather, or a storm was coming up, and they did not want to leave without Jesus. And that's where Jesus, they set out sail without Jesus in the midst of the storm, and Jesus walks on the water. And I want to share with you that Jesus called Peter to, to step out of the boat and walk on the water. And Peter steps out, and he walks on the water. And all I want you to know here is that uh, don't walk on the water unless Jesus calls you. Locos calls you. Now there's a group in Africa that said, Hey, the word says that Peter walked on the water. So we can do that too. And so they walked out on the water and they drowned. True story. You, you have to get a spoken word from God before you, you ever do anything like that. And that's not just with walking on water, but, you know, um, other parts of ministry as well. So, um, the second year is almost over and there's a ch- church split, so to speak. This is where Jesus has talked to his disciples about his body and his blood, that if you eat his body and and drink his blood, that you will live. And his disciples could not understand that. That did not make sense. And here again, like I've repeated over and over and shared with you, that this is a spiritual thing. It's not a fleshly thing. And uh, so there were some disciples that 
did not follow Jesus anymore. They, they, they got up and went home. Church split. Because they did not understand what Jesus was saying. I wonder, you ever wonder why people are leaving the church today? Have you ever thought about that, why people leave the church? I come up with six reasons. And, and I even got scripture about this. It's interesting scripture. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 1 says, We must pay closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. Remind you that the disciples walked away from Jesus. Why are people leaving the church? Six reasons. Number one, God and the Bible are being attacked by religious groups, social media, and hate groups. Number two, sin abounds in the church. Number three, the preaching of a watered-down gospel. Number four, church hypocrisy. All talk, no walk. Number five, politicizing of the church. I mean, even Congress does this. And number six, this might shock you a little bit, I don't know. LGBTQ, God hates gays, so I'm leaving the church. Hmm. Hard times, judgment, revival, The third year, the final year, and start to wrap this up. Jesus has lost many disciples. He's taking his remaining disciples aside and asks them the question. And the first question he asks them, in order to, just to test the opinion of the disciples, he says, "Whom do people say that I am?" And they they gave the disciples gave answers. Well, some say. You're John the Baptist. Remember, John the Baptist was already beheaded, but John the Baptist, you're the resurrected John the Baptist, or some say Elijah, some Elisha. And then Jesus brings up a second question, but who do you say I am? And Peter, by the way, did you know that Peter's name means rock? In the Greek, Peter answered, said, Jesus, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, bless you, Peter, for flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my heavenly father did. And Jesus went on to say, and on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. In other words, what Jesus was saying He's the rock. He's the foundation. He's, Jesus is the immovable stone, the only foundation of the church. 
and I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. You know what prevail means? Prevail means this. Hell is not strong enough to stand up to a strong and powerful church. That's what prevail means. Hell is not strong enough to stand up to a strong and powerful church. You people are strong, strong in your faith. You have the Holy Spirit inside you. You have the Word of God working in your heart. God can use you if you surrender, if you're willing, if you're able. And Jesus went on to say that I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So we have authority. We have authority, but it's more than just declaring something lawful or unlawful. It also means to confirm the truth by the power of the Holy Spirit. Here we go again. To confirm the truth by the power of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, as Jesus and the apostles did. I keep saying that over and over again, the Holy Spirit and the Word. Holy Spirit and the Word. Fits like a hand in a glove. So now, with the disciples that Jesus has left, he, he sent 70 disciples out, two by two. You know, two are better than one, as far as witness. And prayer. And then it's Passion Week. And then, you know, the second cleansing of the house of prayer, where Jesus went in the temple and turned over the tables, and the last Passover and the Lord's Supper. And Jesus promised the Comforter another Comforter. In other words, Jesus is a Comforter, but he's going to. Go to heaven and he's going to send another comforter. And Jesus prays in John chapter 17 while the disciples are sleeping. And Jesus is arrested and there's an unfair trial. And he's crucified and he's buried and he rose from the grave. And then he appears to different, uh, from, appears to different disciples and, and some women in Emmaus and Jerusalem and Galilee. And then um, when he appears to them, he gives them the great commission right up there. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to the whole creation. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the earth. And so then comes the day of the Pentecost. 120 people gathered in a temp- probably in a temple court. And they are one mind, one accord, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And when the, when the Holy Spirit came upon them like a rushing mighty wind, and there were 15 different languages spoke. From 15 different countries, you've got missionaries already. And the early Christian church was born. 
And the Lord added, it says in Acts 2, verse 47, the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Not men. The Lord added to the church daily. All right, that's... Do you have a song for us? Or if not, uh, do you? Okay, would you like to come up and do it? Or would you... It's your call. Okay, come on up and then I'll come back up and I'll, I'll close and I'll empower the church with a blessing. How's that sound? I'm sorry if I kept you too long. Um, I'm sorry about that. And I, I hope that you are blessed and uh, renewed and empowered and invigorated to 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 do more things for Christ.